Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the Legal Soft Podcast. My name is Cameron Hastings, and I'm here joined by our amazing guest today, Sid Mohasset. Alrighty, Sid's here with us to give us some insight on uh, growing law firms and going into 2024 with all the technology and the and the advances in what we think of as a business model. We're going to kind of take that apart and restructure it and see what what uh, insights that Sid can give us. Sid, welcome to the podcast. Pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, it, it was super interesting during our pre-interview. I, I think the concept that you had uh, for that new business model that you were talking about, you said you have a, a w w w are you publishing it somewhere or do you have a book coming out pretty soon? Yeah, I've, uh, uh, uh it is being published at, at multiple places and, uh, considered by, uh, HBR and uh, Forbes and, and other places. But, uh, this is a structure that, uh, I have, uh, been practicing myself for, for a number of years. Just as a matter of reference, I've built four or five companies, right. exited and sold a number, mm -hmm. and uh, I've made investments in a, a lot of companies I'm, uh, as a venture investor and an angel investor. Right. Um, so I know a thing or two about succeeding and failing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and scaling. Um, uh, you know, I joke around, I say, uh, you know, I was six foot two when I started oh, my yeah. journey. I mean, uh, the stress, the I'm stress. about four, five foot three now. The so. stress got you down. Well, right? it pounded me down. Right. So right. I started my first uh, business when I was in, in college. Really? Uh, so the, the mindset that uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk about and the, and the fresh look at how do you run a business uh, is uh, kind of the benefit of years of uh, practice and seeing what works and what doesn't work. Right, right. Um, and I've, uh, uh, just for, for your audience's purpose, uh, I, I, I have a couple of books, so I have um, uh, some of these ideas that has uh, percolated in those books. Right, right. Um, and... Uh, I do a lot of writing at uh, you know from Time magazine to uh, Independent and Foreign Policy and uh, Newsweek and USA Today, and so I I do a lot of writing. Right. Uh, and I'm also a professor at uh, USC University mm -hmm. of Southern California, where I yeah, teach it's just just up the street. Just up the street, <laughs> uh, where I teach both in engineering and uh, and business school. Gotcha. Um, so uh, the practice that uh, that I've had uh, exposure to is both from an academic perspective, if you would, and mm -hmm. a practical perspective. Right. And what I've seen in making investments in, in, in lots and lots of companies. Because you've actually experienced that, right? Yes. I mean, I know that there's a lot of people out there giving business advice or advice to firms that they've never started their own business or their own firm before, but they're just giving advice, right? And I feel like knowing that weight behind it, what 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 you bring to the table as far as your experience goes, I think that's huge. Absolutely. I, I think learning from somebody that's started, you know, uh, three businesses and two of them failed is better than someone that started one business and it went successful, right? I think there's a lot to be gained in knowledge from somebody like that. So I'm, I'm really happy to have you on the, it's a on pleasure the show. To be, it's a pleasure to be here. And I hope by 
say something that provokes some of your audience to do something different and, and prosper. I'm sure you will. Yeah, our pre-interview alone had me uh, had me scratching my head thinking, wait a second, what can I be doing differently? So uh, let's jump into your your business model that you've, you, you say you've redefined. It, it, the, how does your concept of a new business model for firms, how does that like change in the perspective of a normal business model. So you have your traditional and then yeah. yours is something different entirely, right? Sure. So uh, let me start by saying um, uh, that we are all different. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I, I like, uh, you know, I'd, sometimes I think this idea of best practices actually kills people and innovation and, and, and so forth. Um uh, there are certain things in business that are uh, structured and you should know and you should practice. Uh, good accounting. Yeah. Uh, good marketing. Uh, focusing on the cost side and the, you know, and all of those are mechanical things you can learn or you can hire people who know how to do it better. Right. right? Uh, but each one of us, uh, each one of us have a different background. Uh, different intellect level. Uh, we have different employees. They're from different places. They've come from different uh, different backgrounds. Um, we have come from a different background. We have sort of money or don't have money or don't have parents or have parents or, right. or or schooling. All of that makes us completely different. So we're not all Elon Musk. We're not all uh, Bill Gates. We're not all uh, you know any of these Warren Buffetts of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, they are them because they have practiced entrepreneurship in their way. So the concept that I'd like to talk to you about uh, is centered around this idea of exchange. And, and, and let me unfold that and, then, <laughs> and yeah. then pull it back together. So if you go back to the history of entrepreneurship, the word entrepreneur uh, was first used by a Frenchman in, in the 1700s. Interesting. Okay. Uh, and uh, it meant, uh, th this is the way he used it. It's someone, an entrepreneur is someone, who has something. It could be a product. It could be an idea. Uh, it could be his time. He has something. Who likes to exchange that with something of higher value. So if you have something, you want to exchange it for higher value, mm -hmm. you are by definition an entrepreneur. Interesting. About 50, 60 years later, uh, an Irishman added the definition of risk to it and said, if you are someone who has something, an idea, your time, a service, a product, who wants to exchange it with something of higher value, knowing that there is risk, you are an entrepreneur. That is, it's not guaranteed that you can take your product and you can exchange it and it necessarily would lead to something of higher value. Right. Now, notice the definition of higher value is also unknown here. That's what I was going to say. How do okay. you define higher value? You define is higher it? value because you are unique as an entrepreneur. So with that definition, I, you know, I'll, I'll say Mother Teresa was an entrepreneur. She had something. Martin Luther King was an entrepreneur. She ha he had something. He, he knew that there was a risk. Mm -hmm. He took the risk, 
had he exchanged his background, his uh, uh, his effectiveness, his preaching, his uh, capital that he was getting from people to exchange that for freedom. Right. Or in Mother Teresa's case, exchange it for uh, solving poverty. Mm-hmm. So the definition of what you exchange it with is entirely yours as an entrepreneur. Okay. Now, when you no. have that, when you have that mindset of of you're creating the value, what what you what you perceive to be a higher value item, when you have that, how do you get others to perceive that it's uh-huh. worth that? Now, now we go. Now we go. There's, there's. First of all, that's where the risk comes in. Right. Okay. That. If you think this is of higher value, that that's what I want, and they don't think what you're providing really delivers that higher value because they are entrepreneurs too. They have an exchange just like you and I. Right. So if their exchange is not met, then there is no activity. There is no exchange. If what they want, what value they expect to deliver, because let's take a customer. A customer pays you. They expect to get something, and it's more than functionality of a product. Right. They expect to get something. Well, if w- and if that something doesn't have value, they won't pay you. Yeah. So they're not willing to give, to provide something that they have, money, mm-hmm. and exchange that with something of higher value because they don't see the higher value coming in from you. Right. So this is where the conflict begins, essentially, because... There are different exchange relationships. Now, let's back up. This exchange relationship is, you can see it everywhere in, in our, in our daily life, in our business life. Uh, in daily life, you have a son, you have a daughter, you want to spend time with them, you make a choice. Do I do A or do I do B or what would make him or her happy? Right. You 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 interact with your employees in a certain way and they want something and you want something. Uh, it's always you you make this exchange. You you may try to go to work in the morning and feel okay and you take the long way home. So you take a road by the ocean because that's the exchange that you are looking for as opposed to speed to your office. Right. So we're exchanging all the time. So are others. So now let's look at a business. The conventional model is that you have a business in order to make money and that is the reason you have a business. Make a profit. Generate revenue, make a profit. Well, that's why most people start businesses. Correct. Right? I mean, it's really easy to get caught up in nowadays, you know, people, they talk a big talk. So they talk about passion and this and that. But it's, it's, I feel like it's rarely the actual case, right? Most of the time, we start a business, we start a firm to make money. That that's just how it works. Uh, yes. Uh, traditionally. Traditionally. Now, the thing is, this this passion thing is also, I think, being oversold by some. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hate to say this. I'm, you know, I do a lot of speaking, motivational speaking. So right. I was going to say, it's it's oversold by some motivational speakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, my passion is painting. That doesn't necessarily mean that I can 
I can make money off of it right. or make a living off of it. I suck at it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm, I'm just, yeah, it's my passion, but I'm, you know, I, I like DJing, but I can't make a living off of it. Right. So uh, there's a balance to kind of explore that passion with, you know. Um, so uh, the point is this. The point is that most of us, uh, when we start a business, we think, that uh, we are making money. We generate a business in order to make money, mm-hmm. right? That's our exchange. Right. Right? And we're putting the risk risk out by the investments. By the investments. By... By, by Okay, so here's, here's what happens, though. What happens is that the money we make is not... is only an effect. It's an outcome. It's a byproduct. It's a byproduct of who? The customer who makes the decision. We're not in control. You know, people talk about, oh, we have a great sales team and this and that. that." Well, until that guy, that person, that company, that individual decides to buy from you, it doesn't matter how great of a sales rep you have. Right, right. It just, it's irrelevant. The decision of a transaction of that exchange is in their hands, not your hands. Mm Mm-hmm. We, we we talk to a couple like firm owners. They'll say we have a great intake team. Intake teams, you know, the first point of content contact with the clients. Uh-huh. Oh, we have a great intake team, but at the end of the day, you're not getting any cases, right? So dive deeper. What? Why is that? You know, you say you have a great intake team, and sure they're selling it, but sometimes it's not always about selling, right? It's never about selling. Okay. <laughs> it is never about selling. Selling means I take control of your of of your decision. You are the buyer. You make that decision. Until I give you something, something, and we can talk about that. Yeah. Uh, let's take a let's take a case that uh, that's pretty clear. Uh, uh, let's take uh, someone who buys a Louis Vuitton bag for four thousand mm-hmm. dollars. The functionality of that bag. Is exactly the same as a ten dollar bag. You could put your stuff in it, <laughs> yeah, and carry it around. But why would they pay four thousand dollars? It's a bundle of satisfaction. It's something more. There's something more. That is, I go, you know, uh, to a party and I feel good. I, you know, my friends would say, "Oh, look at her. She's uh, all that," or for whatever reason, or I just feel good because I've made it. Right. Right. So uh, let's say, let's take another example. Let's say um, somebody buys a, a Ferrari. Okay. Some of your audience, I'm sure, are, are Ferrari drivers. We, we, we like Ferraris. So, yes. Ferraris are nice. Um, but you don't buy it as a means of transportation, it's a status symbol. A, right. a Honda is a means of transportation, so is an Audi, so mm-hmm. is a Volvo. So you picked that car because it provides you with a bundle of satisfaction, a collection of things that satisfies you. It's not necessarily, if, I'm, if I have a little baby and I'm more safety uh, you know, conscious, I may buy a Volvo. Uh, if I'm uh, more about uh, you know consistency and I don't want my car to break, I may buy a Toyota. Right. 
if I'm uh, after, hey, the residual value of the car in six years or five years or four years should be good, I may buy a Honda. They're all means of transportation, but they deliver a different value package. Right? So first, we have to realize that the people, the customers, have an exchange or a bundle of satisfaction. They, they have like a threshold that you need to hit in order for them to feel, they, okay, this is a worthy exchange. This is a worthy exchange. Right. Okay. That worthy exchange is based on their bundle of satisfaction. Here's, here's what. If you have figured out what that bundle of satisfaction is, with all due respect to all good salespeople, you could put a monkey there and they'll do the transaction because they see it, it's to their advantage. Right. A good salesman is the one that provides visibility, clarity, because confused buyers don't buy. If they provide clarity of the exact value package value that they get, they'll buy. They have the decision. We don't have the decision. Interesting. So kind of changing that perspective, right? So you're changing the perspective. <laughs> exactly right. So we're going to go from reasons. This is the redefined model. We're going to go from reasons to effects. The effects or outcome would be the profit. We're, I'm not promoting that, you know, we'll all be non-for-profit and, and, and go into this uh, kumbaya thing. No, yeah, yeah, we, right. we, 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 are, we are creating a business. We want to make money. Mm -hmm. But realize that, making that money, making that profit is an effect, not the cause, not the reason. Right. So instead of I did this and it gave me X revenue this quarter or what have you. Correct. So instead of focusing on, oh, let me do that again because it's proven it gave me the X revenue. How do you, what, how do you change that perspective? What is that perspective change? The pers see, the perspective change is first a realization that we, as a business owner, do not have the decision-making power that we think. We just don't. Mm -hmm. We can't shove anything down anybody's, you know, uh, mouth. It's it's now there are exceptions. You know, I have the cure for cancer, and you have, uh, you know, you have cancer, and this is the only thing. Yeah, I could demand. Uh, whatever or whatever I want. There are relationships and there are things that would, but 99% of business is a, is a choice by people that they can make a choice. Right. Okay. And those are the outliers too, right? I mean, we're talking less than 1%. Yeah, yeah. It's, of, it's, of it's very few that this model wouldn't work for. And those are, you know, extreme, um, extreme situations of a company dominates a market and, uh, you know, those things. Yes. So, so why do you think that a lot of entrepreneurs and uh, a lot of people starting their own businesses or their own firms even, why do you think they're stuck in that mindset of, of that mindset that works for the 1%, thinking it works for the 100%? Well, <laughs> that's a good question. Because that's all the books and all those people who go up there and say, make money, do this, sales for Somebody has to sell a sales program. Right. Okay? But they sell a sales program. They can't, they don't go into saying, okay, you as an attorney, you as a product owner, you as a manufacturer, you as a consultant, you as whatever you are, let's examine if your value exchange is right. Let's go to the root of what they want. So I want to, 
I don't know if uh, you've been to London. Not as of yet. Okay. So uh, when people are renting uh, a place, if, if you look into, you know, rent a place, there are signs that says to let. Here we have for rent. Mm -hmm. Look at the dynamics difference of where the power is. To let gives the owner the power. I am let I am letting you to let you stay at my place. To let you stay and and, and rent. Or the exchange of as opposed to of for rent. The decision is with the renter. This is for rent. Interesting. Right? We we have the signs, we have the but we we forget. And this is going above this customer centric uh, approach by the way, because let's let's unfold that a little more. Yeah. Most people think I hired so and so. I hired that employee. I gave him a package of I don't know, uh, $100,000 a year plus benefits. So the power seems to be with the employer. But in reality, the power is in, with the employee. The employee decided that this exchange at $100,000 with this benefit package works for her or him. It was worth the value. It, it met their, their It met value. their exchange. Now, they didn't say what they will bring to the table. They didn't say, I'm going to be 100% here. They maybe figured out, oh, you're close. I can spend more time with my kid at, at home. Uh, they may thought that, oh, this is a nine-to-five job. I have something else to do afterwards. They did not promise to bring all of their, their capabilities, innovation, four o'clock in the morning, all of that. They, didn't, they never promised that. You gave them $100,000, and they decided that for that $100,000 and for that package, they will give you this. They made right. that exchange. You think you made that exchange. Interesting. But they did. And and I think that that is the difference uh, between employees specifically, too. You've got one you've got one employee that is, uh, you know, coming in early, leaving late, uh, putting in time on weekends, what have you on vacation, still answers the phone. Then you have another employee that does uh, that does their clock. They clock in, they clock out, they go home. They chose it's that. A, that's the exchange right. that they're given the, the relationship they have with the, with the company. Gary V has a really interesting way of proposing this as well. I'm not sure you probably know Gary mm -hmm. V, right? Yeah. So he has a very interesting way of saying this too. Is that uh, he talks about how a lot of uh, a lot of business owners, which goes the same for law firm owners, it, it feel as though the employees they have should value the business the same. They just don't, and it shouldn't. Right, unless you hit that value threshold for the employee. That's that's it. Right? No, I expect them to do so as well, mm -hmm. but I have to give them a reason to do so. Right, I have to see. I have to tell them why they buy this bag for four thousand dollars. I have to give them that feeling. People at Google do because. They feel that it, on their resume, it extends their, their reach, their connections. So there are companies that actually provide some external extra things. It's Maybe it's uh, food at lunch or what they could take home, or maybe they, they, they improve the package, the bundle of satisfaction, to a level where you'll say, yeah, some 
have cost driven stuff oh saving the environment saving the whales saving the you know uh, whatever yeah some cause and because the people resonate with that cause then their value exchange shifts it's not they're no longer working for a hundred thousand dollars in a benefit package they are working for a cause a hundred thousand dollars in a benefit package right. now let's say that same employee has uh two uh kids one and a half and two and a half years old mm -hmm. and the husband works and travels so what would she prefer ninety thousand dollars if this place is right next to her home or maybe work from home and eighty thousand mm dollars -hmm. or maybe a company provides uh child services right so the package changes depending on where people are. You heard about this quiet quitting uh, right, notion. Right. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it, it, it absolutely reflects this exchange. People are saying, hey, I'm not, I'm not willing, I don't think I'm worth $50 an hour. I'm worth $100. Mm -hmm. So you want to give me $50? I'll work as much as $50. Their value threshold changes. Their value right. threshold changes. Now, I, and I think that's super important, too, is going into having a relationship, whether whether your employees are remote or local, having that relationship with them is super important. Uh, what I've seen done uh, across a lot of different firms, too, is, and in fact, here at LegalSoft, we've got a, uh, a uh, like, question, it's almost a questionnaire that will go through various options and, and this gets sent to every employee and they just fill it out. It's usually simple yes or no answers and then a little paragraph at the bottom. But essentially what it does is it helps uh, us understand the motivations, where your value threshold is. If I'm going to sit here and, and uh, let's say an employee did really an employee did really good one quarter and the next quarter they're not doing so good, right? We're halfway through the quarter. Well, I go, well, let's give you, you know, let's do a $5,000 bonus or whatever you want to do. Sometimes that employee is going to perform the exact same for that $5,000 bonus as they would without it because that's not what their motivation is. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You're not meeting where their value is. It, it could be a cause. It could be donating or this or that. Yeah. Right? So so let's, again, go through this and because uh, we can see how the role of leaders would be impacted if you start thinking this way. So right. first, the buying decision is by the customer. Mm -hmm. the employment decision is by the employee there are five pillars in any company doesn't matter what company it is the customer the employee the partners you deal with right that could be, be a supply chain this investors could be invest no then there's investors oh separate okay okay and you have the society you interact with so we've got five pillars these five pillars, they're all people. Mm -hmm. They're all subject to exchange. So let's say you're dealing with an investor. The assumption is an investor is only looking for money or a return. Right? I give right. you a million, you give me back something. Mm -hmm. Now, as, as I mentioned, uh, I'm an angel investor. I make a lot of investments in early stage investments in, in, in companies. In that context, I'm looking for 10x, 20x of my money. Eventually, through equity or in whatever. In five or 10 years. Right. But there could be somebody else who's an investor uh, of a real estate property and he expects 
return profits every month. Okay, so there are two different exchanges. Or somebody invests in the stock market. They're investors, but they have a different set of criteria. They sometimes, for example, my mother-in-law passed away from cancer. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And, uh, and I have an affinity for that in my heart. So I may make an investment in a company that is looking for cure for cancer, knowing that it's a much longer shot mm -hmm. than a technology company that I really understand and I know how to help them. And I know that one I don't understand. I'm not, you know, but, I'm not a physician. But I would make the investment. In my mind, the satisfaction, the bundle of satisfaction has shifted. It has another element in it that I'm helping a cause. Interesting. That goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning, right? Your your past, your history, your your life, it changes makes your bundle you, of satisfaction. Makes every right? investor different, makes every CEO different, makes every employee different, makes every customer different. Interesting. So we have a variety of situations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have people saying, okay, let's do customer profiling because you're trying to see who are the same kind yeah. of, so that when I create this value, it would resonate with all of them. Right. Uh, uh, refining your demographic, right? Uh, for example. I mean, uh, let's say, uh, uh, well, I'm trying to think of how, oh, yeah, immigration lawyers don't need to advertise to anybody who's not going through immigration. Similar thing, right? Yeah. Focusing on your demo. But, but, but here's the thing. The thing that I wanted to mention here is, Yes, it's demographics, but there is more than that. That means the 23-year-olds today are very different than 23-year-olds in 2019. They are different. Mm -hmm. Their needs are different. Right. So it's not just a matter of this, this exchange, if you would, this bundle of satisfaction is subject to constant change. It is constantly changing. How employees' expectations are changing. Customer expectations are changing. So the thing is, oh, I figured this out. This is what it is. And mm -hmm. if that was the case, we would still uh, have phones at our home and we wouldn't need the iPhones and the Samsungs. We would probably be using the same uh, Blackberries that we did. Right. But we don't. Mm-hmm. Why do people buy a next uh, iPhone? Because there's something else. Their package has changed. They want something different. Why do people get to Hulu as opposed to something else? Why do I, uh, look look around you? Look how we're changing all the time. So that, that value change fuels innovation, really, right? That in the chain, it it, it fuels innovation. It, so the thing is that I want you to see all of these five pillars of an organization are constantly subject to change. So the society that we live in now is very different than one that we lived in five, ten years ago. Mm -hmm. oh, uh, absolutely. Look, look at how the technology is impacting people, the AI and their fear and, and all of that. Look how the, uh, uh, how the movement of uh, uh, how corona and, and, and you know, the pandemic impacted uh, the, the suburbs and how they behave. Look at some of the uh, taxations in different areas. Look at environmental laws. Look at all the stuff that's happening around us. Right. 
they're changing. The investment parameter is changing. Five year, three years ago, I would have been okay with a 4% return on something. Now I'm not. Right. Because interest rates have changed, the world has changed, the risk has changed. Uh, five years ago, China was great. I would make an investment. Today, I would say, oh, wait a minute. I'm not necessarily going to do that unless the returns are something different. So this parameters, the exchange rates, mm -hmm. are constantly changing. Let's take a supply chain guy. Let's take, let's take the people, for example, uh, in a law firm. What kind of partners do they have? Yeah, so in a law firm, you'd be, uh, most of the time it's, it's internal, uh -huh. but the external partners you have, I mean, for personal injury, it could be a relationship with the DA's office or a relationship with a particular judge or relationships. Or the doctors. Or the doctors for, okay. lean, for lean cases as well. Doctors are really. So let's important. say, let's say, let's say, let's take that as it. So okay. what I'm saying, there are five pillars. One of the pillars is the partners that a company has. Mm -hmm. The investors we talked about. The employees we talked about, the customers we talked about, the society we mentioned. So let's talk about the partners. Right. So let's say it's a legal firm. They have a partner. This partner is a doctor or a doctor's office. If they don't pay him on time, do you think he'll work the next time? No. Uh, if they uh, shortchange him or they send him cases that are uh, questionable, mm -hmm. questionable putting the doctor at risk. Right. Would they, would they continue doing it? Likely not. Uh, would they do it if they say, oh, this is a legal firm that makes a billion dollars, a million dollars, whatever, half a billion dollars of cases every year. Mm -hmm. So I have a stream of income and I can go hire three other people and I could go home and I have these three people. I have a relationship. So I have a steady income. Would I be prefer? Would would they give the, the the a better deal to that law firm? Of course. Then average Joe Sid comes in and says, "Hey, let's do this." And say, "Well, I don't know you. I, who are you?" Yeah. Who would they prioritize in doing the work? Them or me? Them. The one that. So you see, the bundle of satisfaction for the partner is very different. Mm -hmm. How they get paid, what the relationship is, the prestige of I'm working with this firm versus right. I'm working with that firm, it changes. Right. It's it's all about relationship building, right? But the relationships think... has to fit. See, it's not just I'm a nice guy. Thank you very much. Right. The relationship has to realize what the exchange rate of the other person is, what the bundle of satisfaction is. And responding to that bundle of satisfaction. The company's job is to create value that fits, that satisfies the bundle of satisfaction of all these parties. Of all five pillars. Of five pillars. And they are all changing. How, 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 does, how do you keep up with that? Ah, so the role of a leader in this context is a harmonizer of satisfaction. A leader is harmonizing because we have certain things. Because guess what? If you pay people, your employees, too much, then you're not giving me as the investor enough. Right. If I want to give the investor too much, I may have to increase the price for the customer. 
Yeah. Right. Uh, if I do shady stuff, uh, then I may become a social uh, issue for me. It it becomes a right. A societal. Problem. If I don't do the right thing with my partners, then I have a problem with the, the the resources that I need, the capabilities, the additional expertise that I need to do what I need to do. Mm-hmm. And they're always changing. So, the assumption, and this is where innovation and this is where the difference between companies going out of business and companies shining comes in if you go back to i'm i'm 60 some years old okay i'd guess 30 well thank you so much uh, if you go back to 1957 i believe or 58 that's where s&p 500 was created okay that's almost 67 years 66 years old Right, 66 years ago. And they picked the best companies, the 500 top companies. Great profitability, great revenue, great product. Customers raved about them. CEOs were all that and a bag of chips. They were just the best. Right. Okay, out of that, this number is about three, four years ago. Now it's less. 85% are not as a part of S&P 500 anymore. Wow. I had no idea it was that number. Okay. 85%. Uh, now, granted, some of them have merged. Some of them have gone. Some of them, lots of them have gone. Mm-hmm. Some of them exist, but they're no longer, you know, they're, they're you know, lower level companies. And out of that 80, 15% that have remained, only 2%. 2% that are doing better than average of S&P 500. Wow. What happened to these? Did these CEOs all of a sudden became stupid? Yeah, that doesn't happen. No, so. they kept the value exchange the way it was, never evolved it, never changed it, never did anything with it, expecting that, hey, this is what I do, this is my exchange, that's what you've got to get. Right. And, and they just kept going with that. Absolutely. The same relationships, the same exchanges, Yes, they innovated, but they innovated on the fringes. They didn't innovate to satisfy the value of the customer, value bundle of satisfaction to these five pillars. They innovated to satisfy their own exchange. I need, uh, I need more profits. I more need revenue. more. Exactly right. Up the prices on the customer side. Let me adjusting. squeeze this. Let me squeeze that. Let right. me get this. Let's ship everybody offshore. Let's do that. Right. Adjust, adjusting the pillars more towards for personal rather than everybody in the pillars. And if you see companies that have uh, that have been able to uh, balance this, and and it's not it's not a permanent balance for one thing. Mm-hmm. This is why I call it harmonizing. Right. You never have a hundred percent balance. And uh, I don't use balance because balance means equality between all pillars. You're never a hundred percent equal. I was gonna say that that seems that's really why impossible. I say harmonize. Right. Harmonizing. Here's the thing. An organization is like a, an orchestra who plays a symphony, a masterpiece. You don't have equal time for every every instrument. It's not mm-hmm. like if uh, if the piano plays 10 minutes or 2 minutes or 30 seconds, then the drum has to play exactly 30 seconds. Right. And the horn has to be exactly 30 seconds. No. 
they come in, they go, they gently create a they sound. They have to harmonize. They have to right. harmonize. An organization must be harmonized. When it's harmonized, it does magic. And the role of a leader is the one who harmonizes the satisfaction between all these different pillars. Constantly. This is not, okay, I'm done. Yeah. That seems like it's a lot of inter it's a lot of uh, looking inside, right? Introspection to 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 be able to acknowledge. Okay, maybe I am wrong. It maybe I do need correct. to change this. And that way, right. that's where it gets to characters of an authentic leader. You know, can you admit you have the courage to admit you're wrong, and courage to push through the pain? Right. It's they're both courage. Right? Uh, uh, do you do you have trust in people? You expect people to trust. I say leadership is about a three-dimensional trust. Mm -hmm. It's not you trust me, I trust you. How as a leader, three, how is it three-dimensional? Ah, the, the first, I have to trust myself as a leader. Mm -hmm. I have to trust myself and be transparent with myself, not fool myself. Right. When I do that, the second is. I trust you as my employee mm -hmm. because I want to pick the right person and I give you the rights and I realize the value and I realize what then and only then is when you trust me as a leader. You don't trust me. After you've fulfilled those other two obligations, that's how you earn the respect as a leader. Interesting. Yeah, I, I think... We, we run into that a lot. There's a lot of firms out there um, that really try to do everything and you just can't. And they think they can do everything, right? Oh, well, I'm a lawyer, but I'm also a, a business professional too, right? Or I'm also, I know how to, I'm a, also a marketing guru and th this and that. And they try to do everything. And you see those firms, they fall apart every time, nine out of 10 times. So... Do we have people that have the capabilities of scale from zero to, uh, yes. I mean, look at Mark Zuckerberg, who's a smart man. He's scaled to the level he is. Look at, right. But one of the things is along the way, if you talk to all of them, they always say you got to hire smarter people than you. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's an ego thing. <laughs> that's an ego thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Recognizing you're not the smartest Recognizing person. that you're not a smarter person. Mm -hmm. Right? Uh, the key thing is, uh, the same thing, by the way, happens to doctors. The same thing happens to technologists. So you have somebody who's uh, out of Stanford, uh, very smart, uh, technical programmer, super duper capable. But they think they're also understand business mm -hmm. or reversely by the way they think they shouldn't understand business because they're so good and technical which is also bad by the way which is also bad so let me let, let's unfold yeah so yeah i mean i'm curious to know like how you how you discern that right how, how you define how do you compartmentalize yourself to be able to go okay this is what I'm good at. This is what I need to fill. So here's the thing. A lot of people say you have to focus on your strength. Mm -hmm. I disagree. The strength is your strength. 
You it's, have gonna, to, it's gonna be strong no matter what. Yeah, right? you're, 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 it's like I tell uh, uh, somebody that that's going for uh, the Olympics, uh, who is a runner who can who has strong feet. I say, hey, you know, just focus on your for your uh, on your legs. Don't worry about your breathing. Don't worry about your mind. Don't worry about your nutrition. Don't worry about any of that. Just focus on your legs. Just your legs. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Winners have a balanced kind of an approach to things, and they have skills. That, but so you have to understand your weakness. By focusing on your weakness, I'm not saying that you have to be a marketing expert. Mm-hmm. If you know that you don't understand it, that means you have to understand it enough to be able to hire somebody. But but you're focusing on it. Right. You're focusing on it. That's why you realize that you don't have the capabilities. The second thing is you have to be able to communicate with the same language. This was the, you know, uh, again, a lot of companies I work with, they are, uh, you know, technology, very smart people. And they they think I'm just focused on the technology. Let's go get some sales guy to sell this. Right. Okay, so here's here's where the problem is. They can't communicate. So this gaps in an organization have been created. The exchange between the two is not happening. And if it's not happening, value is not being created. Right. You have to be able to understand at a minimum. We, we run into that a lot with uh, not just firms, but businesses in general too, their HR team. Yeah. Right? Because a lot of times it's considered a money sink. That it just goes goes away, because there's no understanding of where that value gets presented, right? So in in the context that I just talked about, mm-hmm. HR team is very valuable. Oh, absolutely. Not they're not valuable just to hire and fire and okay they're you know they're a, they're not a risk mitigation entity. Mm-hmm. If you really look at it, without your people, you can't run a business. Yeah. They decide what to give you and what not to give you, and they give you their innovation and creativity and better results, then you will excel. You will do better. So you have the HR people are really asset managers. So imagine you have all this money you've deposited in, in some place, and you have a person who's managing your portfolio of accounts. Right. This is another different kind of asset. This your is your asset the, manager. Your assets. Right. These are your assets, and they have expectations, and they have to be maintained. So when we look at it as an HR is a you know is, is a headache because we have to have all these laws and rules so nobody sues us, mm-hmm. then it becomes a pain. Right, but that it's not understanding the role. So here's the thing: the role is not understood. Because we don't look at the exchange of that. Because we think that we hired them, therefore we are the master, they're the slave. Mm-hmm. We, don't, we don't realize that it is their decision. Right. It is their decision, not only to work for us, but what they contribute. Are they really with us? How much of their, how much of value are we providing? Uh, yes. Do we meet their threshold? Do we meet their threshold? Mm-hmm. And if you don't, they're not giving us the right thing. So <clears throat> this new redefined model that we just talked about mm-hmm. is based on reasons and causes. And, and when I say cause, I don't mean, you know, environmental causes or, or, or other. I mean right. the cause and effect based on reasons as opposed to effect. Mm-hmm. 
if we are harmonizing these five, if my employees are humming and their exchange value exchange is met, if my partners are the value exchange is met, if my investors are the value exchange is met, if the society and if at the moment at the end my customers value exchange is met, right? There is no way you lose money. There is zero probability. Can you give me examples of a of a couple businesses that have done that? Uh, yeah. Um, I have a case study on uh, on HBR. There is a small company in India. Uh, by small, I mean three, four hundred people, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and they operate based on something they call a happiness index. Interesting. So, uh, so uh, again, you can find the uh, you could find the case on Harvard Business Review cases. Uh, okay. You can find. We'll it. probably link it into in yeah. the episodes. So but but there are. Uh, the thing is, this is what I wanted to mention that. Uh, most most companies this harmonizing business is a hard thing to do yeah well i mean it sounds complicated okay right? it's a it's a it's a mindset shift mm -hmm. as opposed to it's not about hiring two people it's not about putting guidelines it's not you know in the, in the world of the uh the, the, the you know the, the uh, legal business it's not another case you follow or another you know precedence you set right it's always changing always changing because these pillars are all and they have to be harmonized the piano has to come in and they and, 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 and the drums have to go out to be able to create a symphony this mm -hmm. is how it works this is how it works so let's take let's take one example recently the UAW had uh, a big strike mm -hmm. uh, it cost uh, against the three big car manufacturers the car manufacturers represents about 3% of GDP of U.S., these three, GM and Ford and, uh, and the other one that they've changed their name. It's Chrysler, but they right. call it something. Yeah. Every week, the estimated loss was about $5.6 billion. Every week? Every week. Wow. Okay, $5.6 billion. It's billion with a B. Billion with a B, Okay. Um, now, if you look at what happened there, they had $20, 30000000000 billion profits in a quarter. In a quarter. <laughs> the, uh, the CEO's uh, salary had raised by 40x, where the salary of the employees weren't. They were capped. They were, uh, you know, some of the employees' expectations were too much, by the way. But I mean, let's let's face it. Yeah. I mean, uh, because when I say these things, people uh, label me by either you know to the right or to the left or whatever. I, I I'm more about let's look at the facts. Right. Right. So. So they had money. They claimed, oh, we have to make these investments in other areas and if it's electrical vehicles that we have to go to and by the way if we do an electrical vehicles we don't need the same stuff that we have with the engines and this and that so you're out of a job mm -hmm. right so that triggered the whole strike recently i believe gm yeah, a few days ago they announced that uh, now that they have agreed and they're not as aggressively pursuing development of electric cars they are returning money to the investors in form of dividend. Mm -hmm. 
they, I don't know, uh, almost doubled their, their dividend. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So stock market went up. The investors are happy. Mm-hmm. Okay. But the employees are still unhappy. But the employees are now have some relationship. So this seems okay, right? Okay. But see what they did. They have changed the customers, the customers value exchange in the long term. They're getting out of the electrical car business. Mm-hmm. And for us in California, it's all going to be electric coming uh, up uh, soon, uh, right? See, this is this is where the uh, Chinese and the others are. Uh, you know, they're the, the electrical car business is going to be the future of the world. Yeah, whether we like it or not, I think. I think. Yeah, same vein as AI, right? I mean, okay. it's the so future, now let's fire, like fast forward 20, 30, 40 years from now. Yeah. A similar thing happened in a different way in, in the 30s or the 40s or the 50s or the 60s or the 70s. We said, hey, the costs are too much. Investors require more, more, more returns. Let's take all the stuff, the jobs, and send them to China or send them overseas. Yeah. Right? Because we had to give people money. Because we, their exchange rate wasn't right for investors. So we said, okay, let's get rid of the people. So what did we do? We imbalanced the employee side, mm-hmm. loaded the, the other side, and guess what? They suffered Yeah. for 20 years. And now who do they blame? The Chinese. Which Chinese came in and put a gun to our head to send our <laughs> stuff? Nobody did. Didn't happen. Mm-hmm. But it's a good excuse. Now, I wonder 30 years from now, because we're out of the electric business, literally, they're giving the money back. They have no money to invest in that business. They need to innovate. They're far behind. Right. But they're satisfying. So the CEO gets a bonus and everybody is hunky-dory happy. But, lo- but long term, it's just, it's not. But viable. long term. Yeah. Long term. So this is how they get off of this S&P 500. These decisions. Right. Right. Not, uh, not fulfilling the value. Not fulfilling the value to one of these pillars. Gotcha. And it's not an immediate satisfaction. As a company, I have to think about 10, 5, 10 years from now. Mm-hmm. Because it takes, particularly in a car, uh, you know, it used to be four or five years on a platform. So when you introduce a new car, it would take five years. Now it's maybe two years, a year and a half. Right. Okay, so if I don't have money, anything to do this, now I'm back into the five, 10 years uh, cycle. Uh, where uh, even the uh, uh, the Germans are doing it at a, at a year. Yeah. Right. If I have a Tesla and I park this car in my in my garage, which I don't have a Tesla, but if I park this car in my garage, this car tomorrow would be a better car than today. Why? Because the system is upgrading. Right. I have a better car almost every day when the system upgrades. Well, on the opposite side, if I have a General Motors car, it's depreciating because it's a worse car than it was yesterday. Right. So who's going to win over time? It's going to be the electric. Who's, who's going to win? And, and I, I do have to say that is something about Tesla that's super interesting, too, when we're bringing it up, is you talk about harmonizing the pillars. Uh, I, I think Tesla has been very public about its challenge in doing that. Uh, I did want to get a quick um, a, a quick quick question from you. As far as when we're going into 2024, uh, what should law firm owners or business owners in general, what should they 
it, we're, it's called start, stop, continue. So what should they start doing in 2024? What should they stop doing entirely? And then what should they continue doing that's going to help them increase revenue or, or increase their value that they're providing to their pillars? Let's start with the continue. Okay, let's do it. Uh, I am fairly optimistic about uh, the 2024 and beyond in terms of economy, in terms of what it holds. Uh, so it's if you're struggling or if you're not doing well or, or, or even if you are, the opportunity ahead is promising. Right. So continue. <laughs> Uh, because there is, you know, there is there is opportunity. In some areas, you'll say, "Oh, this thing is completely going broke. There's no opportunity." So the opportunity is 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 really uh, interesting. Continue pursuing. Continue pursuing the the, the the value delivery. Continue pursuing your business. Continue. Now there are pockets. For example, mm-hmm. I think there is a tremendous amount of opportunity uh, in legal of uh, legal cases and therefore work mm-hmm. uh, in the AI business. Uh, there's these rules and regulations coming in from Europe and uh, people have to be uh, accounted accountable for what models they're using. Is it biased? Is it not biased? Is it hallucinating? Is it not hallucinating? Is it all that sort of stuff? Right. And in laws, there are some uh, serious liability. So you'll see a lot of stuff there. Oh, well, we are definitely going to see it. We're okay. already seeing it going into 2024. Oh, you're, you're going to see lots and lots of stuff. There. And also, I, I think you, utilizing AI in your firm, if you haven't tried it already... So that was the other to. thing and say, stop being afraid of AI. Love okay? It. Yep. It's going to come if you're... So so, so routine and not can, you know, yes, it'll take your job if you are not creative, if you're not innovative, if you are a machine. If you are a machine, you shouldn't be making this much money anyways, <laughs> an attorney. Okay? Right. Let's get rid of that now because you are an overhead as opposed to a contributor. Uh-huh. If an AI is, is, is like uh, when you used Westlaw to go research... Mm-hmm. Uh, shouldn't you have gone to the uh, library and taken every book and go through it as opposed to searching? That would have been nice. So why are you using that? Because it's a tool. It's expedited your productivity, uh, helped you do you know a lot more. There is stuff on the jury uh, selection with AI. There's stuff about the uh, back office, uh, you know, management, uh, the accounting side. All, all of that. There's oh, lots absolutely. of lots of things that, that that AI can can do. Now, some people say. Somebody asked me and says, "Well, I don't trust AI with medicine." I said, "Why? What do you know about it?" He says, "Well, when I Google, what you know, I have these symptoms. Google comes back to me, and I really that don't have that problem." I said, first of all, who said Google is a medical AI system? That's an illusion that you've come up with yourself, and it's Mm -hmm. part of the media thing. So pick the right partners who know what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, And don't be afraid of, uh, don't be afraid. So stop being afraid of AI. Stop being afraid of AI. I I love that, Uh, especially too, because when people, uh, firms included, you know, they first start using AI or ChatGPT, for example. They don't know how to properly 
prompt it, it takes time. You have to learn it. You, you have to you have to make sure it's a whole new language with the AI. So you have to prompt it correctly and you have to build a model for yourself that's going to work for your firm or going to work for your business. Absolutely. And, and people don't, they're too quick to stop, I think, with AI. Uh, so it, so it here's the thing. I've got news for you. Yeah. You built the best system today. Mm-hmm. You have to change it in a year. Yeah. So right. this is one of those things that you said, well, well, this is changing. You've got to get with change. it. Yeah. You've got to get with it. This is a changing environment. Either you either you demise and you, you fail and you leave and you're done or you grow and change and evolve. That's, uh, you know. It's one of the two. It's yeah, one of absolutely. the two. And, the, and we have the choice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for the legal folks, they're pretty smart people. Hey, get with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? No, absolutely. Um, so, and in, and in terms of uh, in terms of starting, mm-hmm. uh, I would say uh, start realizing the exchanges that you have. Start realizing the exchanges that your employees, your customers, your uh, your partners, the society, and potentially your investors. By the way, you are an investor if you've made your own money. That's if your own and you invest, then you are the investor, right? Uh, and your family are your shareholders. So there's uh, start realizing these five pillars. First, what is their value expectation? What is that bundle of satisfaction? And I guarantee you, if you get this harmonization process right and lead as a harmonizer of these, if your customers get the bundle of satisfactions, they'll sign up. Wonderful. When they don't, they won't sign up, regardless of how good your salesman's gift of the gab is. Right. And that's where you're seeing a loss of cases. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Sid, so much. Pleasure uh, to be I, with you. I wanted to chat about your radio show and, and where our audience could find you online. Well, uh, my name, uh, if you type it, uh, you're going to be you're going to be finding me a lot of different places on we'll find usual it. social media ch- stuff. Um, we'll link I, all of Sid's socials below. That way you guys can follow his journey. Uh, also, you did a couple amazing TED Talks, which were fantastic. Yes, I would, I would, I I would encourage two. people uh, to watch. Uh, the first one was done actually quite a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I kind of crystal balled. I said, hey, here's what's coming. And guess what? I thought it was five, ten years it will come. It came sooner than what I expected. <laughs> it always happens. Um, yeah. uh, and the last one... Is about are you? It's, it's titled "Are you the art, the artist, or the entrepreneur?" Mm-hmm. And uh, it talks about this notion of change, right? And uh, and entrepreneurship. I think that could be really beneficial for our audience, especially uh, you know lawyers starting their law firms. They may not think it, but they are entrepreneurs. Yep. they are. They are starting right, like you said. They're investing that value, and they have something to give, and. Something that hopefully... the key is that it's if you're starting your business and say I want to make money, that's mm-hmm. your exchange. But other people don't want you to make money; they want themselves to make money. Right? They want themselves to get. If you go to the other side and look at what they want, you'll have a much better business than if you're focused. If you're gonna, if you're gonna only get your own business, you're the provider. Mm-hmm. You hire yourself. You pay yourself. You deliver it to yourself. You win the cases for yourself. Then, you're then you don't need anybody else. <laughs> yeah. 
But that's not the case. They are the ones who are paying you. They are the ones who are providing the uh, the environment, the the capabilities that that you can achieve the those, effect or the outcome. Those relationships are so important. I think. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Harmonizing those five pillars with your new business, uh, um, new business model. I, I think that's super important. Thank you so much, Sid, for being here. Thank you guys for joining us at the Legal Soft Podcast. Uh, we'd love to have Sid on again some other time. If you guys have questions for him or for us, don't be be sure to mention it in the comments. Uh, don't forget to subscribe. We're doing new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. Thank you guys so much. Bye-bye.